The views expressed in this show are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of the Department of Defense, Department of the Navy, or the U.S. government. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Philosophication with Ginger and the Beard. I'm Jason, and today we bring you the first episode in a new series of ours that we're calling The Great Books. I just want to take a couple of minutes and introduce this series so you know what's going on before you hear this conversation, and also because this project is something I'm actually really excited about. So, A while back, Michael and I both listened to an episode of the Art of Manliness podcast called Why You Need to Join the Conversation About the Great Books. And this episode was all about, well, a lot of the great books from the history of Western thought, culture, and civilization. What they are, why they're so great, and why we modern folks should read them and talk about them. So after hearing that podcast episode, we decided this would be perfect conversation material for our show. And we decided to join the conversation, too. So we got a reading list that was originally published in the 1972 revised edition of a book by Mortimer Adler called How to Read a Book. And this list has all kinds of books on it from throughout the Western tradition, from ancient Greece all the way up through the 20th century. So what we'll be doing is going through that list in more or less chronological order, reading each book and having a conversation about it for our show. This is definitely not a short-term project. There are a couple hundred books on the list, and many of them, I'm sure, will not exactly be easier, quick reads. So we fully expect to be doing this for quite a while. But the thing about this project is that it's not really meant to be completed quickly. We really want to get something out of every book on the list and also out of the project as a whole, so we're not rushing it. So for this series, we'll be reading a really wide range of different genres. We'll be reading epic poetry, such as for this episode. We'll also be reading books of prose fiction, history, philosophy, mythology, science, mathematics, plays, much more. Now one final thing I want to add is that these episodes are not meant to be in-depth analyses or critiques of these books. If you want to hear that, there are many, many far more qualified people than us you can go to. What we're trying to do in this series is discuss big ideas and interesting things that occur to us while reading. It's basically just a normal episode of our show, but using a great book as a conversation starter. So we're really excited about this project, and we hope you, our listeners, will join us on this journey and in this conversation. Our first book on the list is Homer's Iliad, which is the oldest surviving written work in the entire Western canon. In case anyone cares, we read the Oxford University Press publication, translation by Anthony Verity, and I'll leave a link in the description to that edition on Amazon in case anyone is interested in reading the same one. We decided to split this conversation into two parts. This episode will deal with war and honor culture, And part two will deal with fate, destiny, and the God's role in the story. So I think that's all I have to say by way of an intro. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this conversation on Homer's Iliad. So it's finally happening. Finally talking about the Iliad after all these months. Nice. So first of all, I mean, before we start talking about this, I want everyone listening to know that you suck and that it's your fault we didn't do this months ago. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's important to me that everyone knows you're a butthole. I so, think everyone knows that already. Yeah, you're right. So anyway, uh, so I thought we'd summarize real quick what happens. 
um, the story before we jump into it. So actually when I was, before I read this, I, I read this a while back, like in middle school or something, but before I read it, I, I'd kind of forgotten, but before I read it, I thought it was pretty much like a direct, um, like a story of the Trojan war. And I thought that Brad Pitt movie was pretty much an adaptation of the Iliad, which it's not. Um, it turns out it's actually like a smaller story within the Trojan war. So when it starts, the Trojan war has already been going on for like nine years. And we, we are in the 10th year. And, um, when it starts the Trojan or the, uh, the Achaeans um, or the Greeks, they use a couple of different names for them, like Achaeans, Greeks, and something else. But so the Achaeans have just sacked a Trojan city or a, a Trojan allied city and carried off a bunch of spoils of war. And um, there were these two girls, um, Briseis and Chryseis. And um, Agamemnon got Chryseis as his spoil of war, and, and uh, Achilles gets Briseis. Um, then there's this whole thing, like Chryseis turns out to be the daughter of a priest of Apollo who tries to ransom her and Agamemnon is really rude to him. And so Apollo sends a curse uh, or a plague on the Achaean army. And in order to stop it, Agamemnon has to give the girl back to her father. Um, so then he, he's like, well, Achilles can't have better spoils of war than me because I'm a, a, in a position of higher power than he is. So he takes Briseis for himself and Achilles is pissed. And that's kind of the inciting incident for the whole thing. So Achilles gets pissed and refuses to fight until Agamemnon <clears throat> makes it up to him somehow, like either gives him back the girl or, uh, you know, honors him and apologizes. So, uh, Achilles goes to his mother, which is a, a her name's Thetis. She's a she's a sea goddess, like a I can't remember if it's like a nymph or some kind of immortal. And um, Zeus owes her a favor, so she goes to Zeus and asks him to make the Achaeans lose the battle until Achilles comes to fight for him again. So. That's kind of, that kind of kicks off the whole thing. And then, you know, there's a bunch of battles, like the battle rages back and forth for a few days. And the Achaeans are losing. Things get really desperate for them. Eventually, they get desperate enough to go, go back to Achilles and beg him to come back into the fight because they know if he comes back into the fight, they're going to be a lot better off and they're going to be winning again. So he refuses. Um, but his best friend, Patroclus, uh, asks him to go fight instead. Like he wants to take Achilles unit, the Myrmidons who are like an elite unit and um, lead them into battle wearing Achilles armor. So maybe, you know, the Trojans will think he's Achilles and be afraid. So he goes and does that and gets killed. Um, and then Achilles gets pissed again that Patroclus died, forgets about his beef with Agamemnon and uh, goes back into the fight. Um, he's really pissed at Hector, who's the, the main hero on the Trojan side. He has a duel with Hector, kills him, 
and uh, takes his body and like defiles the body or whatever because his rage is still, you know, burning strong. And he doesn't let go of it until Hector's father, King Priam of Troy, comes and visits Achilles and begs for his, his son's body back. And that's the point where Achilles lets go of his anger and gives the body back and Priam takes... T Priam takes Hector's body back to Troy and uh, they conduct a funeral for him and that's where it ends. So it's really, the story is about Achilles and his rage. Like he, there's this incident that makes him angry right at the start and when Patroclus dies, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't let go of his anger he just his he just redirects his anger from Agamemnon to Hector, and continues being angry, and then he finally lets go of it at the end. So that's what the story is really about. Um, but let's let's go ahead and talk about the the incident that kicks it all off because this seems super petty at first glance. Like Agamemnon takes this girl, and um. Achilles is pissed about it and he goes to his immortal mother and asks her to talk to Zeus to make his own army lose, you know, until he rejoins the fight. So it's like there's a beef over a girl <laughs> and he prays to Zeus essentially for the deaths of all his, his comrades and it's like, what the hell's going on there? But there's more to it than that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's really, it's really, really prideful, right? The fact that he would wish for his own army to, to keep losing until, until he gets back there. And it really, I think it, this book demonstrates a lot of things about how culture used to be, uh, warrior culture, honor culture. But like it also really demonstrates in this like heroic age, like when someone wanted to be a hero, that it really was just all about them. You know what I mean? Like the idea of all of his countrymen dying wasn't, you know, it was more important that he won glory. You know what I mean? That he, you know, that his pride and his, and glory were satisfied. And, uh, Nowadays, in the military, it seems like it's still important, pride and glory, but, you know, the idea of trading other people's lives for it is uh, not really a, a prevalent thing. And it seems from all the stories, granted, they are all, you know, epics and basically Hollywoodized uh, in their own version of Hollywoodized, but uh seems like the focus was a lot more on personal glory you know what i mean yeah it definitely was um but the the thing about this culture like this is the epitome of an honor culture um mm -hmm. obviously but so the thing about this culture like they're not they're living in a world without any rigid structures of government right like there there's not there's not like a state to keep order. It's just, it's basically just a bunch of warlords 
competing for power. So it, it's like anyone who occupies a position of power like Achilles or Agamemnon has earned it through being better than everyone else. Yeah. And, and they're in that position because they were strong, because they were, uh, because they were smart and brave and all of those things that a warrior is. And everyone wants that position. Like there's, or there's lots of people that want that position. Like it's competitive and it's competitive to get, and it's competitive to keep. So it's very important to everyone who is in a position like that, that to maintain it because sometimes, I mean, either they could lose that position, which they don't want, or losing that position could mean death lots of the time. So it's important to maintain that position. And the way they do it is by demonstrating their honor to everyone around them. And honor is a very public thing. It's not like something that you can just be secure with for yourself. Like if, if everyone, if everyone around you is going to respect and honor you, you have to demonstrate your honor to them outwardly. And the way they do that is through possessions and women. So that's really what Briseis is. She's not just a girl. She's a status symbol for Achilles and Agamemnon. And um, so when, when Agamemnon takes her away, that diminishes Achilles' reputation and his honor. And he, uh, he can't just let that go. He, just, he can't just let that stand and still fight for Agamemnon. So that's what it's really about. It's not just a guy getting <clears throat> upset that, a, that he can't bang a girl. Like maybe that was part of it, but um, it's more about her as a status symbol. And uh, it's, it's really a life or death or th things like that can be a life or death thing. So there's more to it than just Achilles being petty. Like he is kind of petty, even in the story, like the way he's characterized is that he is being kind of petty for this, but uh, not as much as we would think, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's clearly petty, but it's like, it almost makes sense in the context in, in that day and age and in his position, you know, that. Yeah. You know, if the most important thing to you is basically your reputation, you know, you can call that honor, you can call it legacy, you know, then you just can't let something like that slide and just forgive and forget. You know what I mean? Yeah. So makes perfect sense in from his shoes. Yeah, that's... I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like it, in the context of that culture, it makes perfect sense, even though it's not great. <clears throat> um, but that's what, like, that's one thing that I've been thinking about since reading this, because I think you and I probably have a tendency to, to look on the more positive aspects of honor culture. Yeah. And think that maybe we could use a little more of it today. Um, sure. but I think we tend to gloss over the downsides of which there are many, like yeah. this is one, like a culture that, a culture that 
encourages or uh, leads to this. Like this is a culture that facilitates stuff like this. Like thousands of people are going to die because because of Achilles' honor. And yeah. so that's a definite downside to honor culture. I think we tend to gloss over that, or we have in the past when we've talked about honor culture, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's, a, but that's a definite downside. And you could, pro- you could even make yeah. the argument, like, I- I'm sure we'll get into this later, but um, that this whole war is all about honor. Like, this war yeah. would not exist if it wasn't for honor culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think if there's one downside, it's like the complete... Um, it's a complete lack of the ability to forgive, you know, that, like, basically slights require vengeance, you know, they require retribution. Uh, you can't just forgive and forget, you know, and, you know, obviously even today, there's, even in our culture, there's plenty of stuff that we, many people consider unforgivable and, and whatnot, and vengeance is still a very, like, present thought whenever people are wronged, but, you know, it's almost natural, you know, it's almost in, in our lizard part of our brain, you know, that, you know, to, like, lash out and get vengeance or whatever, but, uh, but yeah, I could see a culture where that just isn't a thing at all, where you have to, you know, get revenge for every slight committed against you, then, yeah, that could be a, a downside and can lead to wars, you know, huge wars where thousands of people die. Yeah. And that's another part of the story. Like, I kind of think that this story itself is the beginning of a turn away from that. Mm. Um, I don't remember who wrote this article, but it, there was some article I read about honor culture versus dignity culture and how the fusion of those led to victimhood culture. I think you probably read that article too at some point, but um, the point is like honor culture is what we're describing here. Dignity culture is kind of the next evolution where your reputation still matters, but the way you, the way you advance your reputation is by not reacting to insults. Mm. So if someone insults you, you're like, uh, you know, water off a duck's back. Like, I don't care. I'm above that. Um, and I kind of think that this story, even though it definitely takes place in a, in about as pure of an honor culture as you can get, I think it's kind of the first turn away from that because the story is about Achilles rage and basically his, his retribution, his retribution towards Agamemnon for that slight and nothing Achilles does relieves him like he sits out of the fight which is what he's supposed to do if he wants to keep his honor intact but he sits out he sits out of the fight and that doesn't like he gets everything that he wants basically um agamemnon ends up apologizing to him and giving everything back before he comes back to the fight so he gets what he wants there um he kills hector which is also what he wants. He wa- you know, he wants to avenge the death of Patroclus. Um, so he gets everything that he wants, 
that he's trying to get because of honor culture, but he's still angry. Yeah. None of it brings him any relief. And the only thing that brings him relief is at the end when he has this very intimate heart to heart with Hector's father, the, the father of the enemy that he just killed um, and lets go of his anger. Like that's what he had to do to get relief. He had to not, not go to all those lengths to avenge the wrongs that were done to him. Like, it's like this all led to the deaths of thousands of people. And it's almost like the story is trying to say, maybe that's not such a good thing. And maybe it's better to let go of your anger. Do you think maybe it's the Iliad is a cautionary tale from Homer about yeah, kind how, of. how wrong it can go if, if you're that petty or if you're that unwilling to forgive or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's something that's part of what it is, I think. Yeah. I think that's kind of the message. Yeah. Hmm. Part of the message anyway. Yeah, I guess it's funny. I always think of the Iliad as demonstrating like <clears throat> how just how awesome Achilles was, but I mean obviously there's more to it, but that but really it could be more of a critique of Achilles, you know, like it's really saying, look how horrible things can be if you care this much about your reputation or if, you know, or how little relief you can get by getting everything you want if you don't, you know, if you don't have the ability to let things go. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, it, you know, Achilles is the, is at the pinnacle of honor culture, like honor culture as it's laid out in the Iliad, Achilles is at the pinnacle of it. Like he is, has the most honor of anyone ever, basically. Um, I mean, he, Agamemnon is in a higher position than him, but the way they characterize him, Achilles is, is the better man. Like, yeah. Agamemnon's the better man in the, in terms of position. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Achilles is like the more honorable man. Right. Um, maybe of all time. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Even still. Yeah. Um, but the point is Achilles is the pinnacle of, of honor culture. <clears throat> and this is, at least it seems to me that the story is trying to tell us that maybe this isn't the way to be. And even though this guy, this guy is the epitome of everything you're supposed to do, in honor culture and look at all the death and misery it led to for him. So maybe this needs to be tempered with something like Hmm. with some kind of a, with some forgiveness or some letting things go and not having to respond to everything to that, to that extreme degree. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I thought a lot about themes of this story, but when I, I haven't thought about is the overall, message you know and that that's a that's a good point yeah that it's a negative like look at the life of achilles yeah let's let's talk about the war a little bit because that kind of ties in with this so i mean i said before that i think the whole war would not exist without honor culture but you know i mean that's another part of honor culture like this war exists because of honor culture. And I think the honor culture requires war. 
like the way men prove their honor in this society is fighting like prowess in battle like that's that's probably the biggest way that they demonstrate their their honor and their manliness like they have to be a great warrior and if they're not then they you know then they're they're not as honorable as the great warriors so how do you have great warriors if you don't have wars and yeah. i think i think um I think it's almost like the the proximal cause of any war, or at least the proximal cause of this war in particular, was um, is just a pretense almost. It's like we're going to go to war with somebody somewhere, no matter what. But the reason in this case was, you know, Paris stole Helen from from her husband, and yeah. they had to go to war with Troy over it. But if it wasn't that, it would have just been somebody else you know, going to war with somebody else for a different reason. Like there would have been a war no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Um, it's just, we need to find a pretense to go to war so we can go to war and, you know, men can win honor that way. Yeah. You know, um, it's something I've kind of thought a little bit about, but it's kind of hitting me just how, how similar that war and, uh, and even more recent wars are in that I think, you know, we talk about the just war theory um, in school, right at the Academy. Um, and what is it? Use ad bellum use. Yeah. Use ad bellum use in bellow. Yeah. Use ad bellum is a just cause, a just cause for war. Like you go to war for a good reason. And then use in bellow is just, behavior during war like you conduct war in a just way that's use in bellow use at bellum is a good reason to go to war so um i think people don't know it and they don't think about it but i think to people even today i think that we generally think of like think of all the best reasons to go to war think of the wars that people have generally supported and the ones that they haven't you know, we haven't, as a people, the American people were very unsupportive of, you know, Vietnam and Korea and um, Iraq, right? They were more supportive in Afghanistan than Iraq, generally speaking, right? No. Um, the conduct, the use in Bellow, there's a lot of questions there, right? Like how to win the war. Not Part of use in Bellow is not just behaving honorably as soldiers and sailors and Marines and stuff, but actually having a, like your strategy, your tactics, you know, you have to try and get it over with, you know what I mean? You can, so like you could call it a violation of use in Bellow by having a war that just never ends. Like you don't have a good plan. You know what I mean? That's a bad conduct during war because you're causing more suffering than is necessary. But Anyway, you think of the wars that people generally support, the use ad bellum reason for why we do it, and it, it's actually honor-based. Think about all the ones like Pearl Harbor. All right, now that's, that is, pragmatically speaking, you kind of have to go to war because they are basically now at war with us, right? And if we, we can't just not fight because they're going to come attack us again. But it's also, a, it's like a kick in the stones, you know what I mean? And, and it pisses us off. So we have to go get revenge. It's like, we can't just take that, right? So that example, 
I think even though there's multiple reasons for going to war at that point, one is honor, one is retribution, you know, justice for those that were killed, you know, but a better example is 9-11. Now, 9-11 wasn't like the opening barrage of a full-scale war, you know, it was, it was terrorism. It's by definition, all terrorism is just, it's like a single act. It's not, and they may be at war with us, however they define that. But it isn't like an operation as part of a bigger campaign or something, right? Yeah, it's not like we're under threat of invasion by the right. Taliban. Yeah, if we had done nothing except, you know, invent the TSA and and do all that crap we did, pass the Patriot Act and do all that horrible stuff, you know, take all the precautions to prevent it again, we'd be in the same place, except we wouldn't have gone gone to war and gotten revenge. It's essentially our, our, our national honor was besmirched. You know what I mean? Um, and those are the reasons that Americans are, they're on board. They're like, let's do this immediately. Like it's a gut thing, you know, and we still feel that way. And I don't think people think of it like that. They don't think of honor, but I really think that's at the core of it, you know, and we do yeah, go to war for like reasons. A- it's yeah. almost like a subconscious thing. Like yeah. People don't even realize that's what they're thinking, but it's like yeah. a gut level reaction. Yeah. And if you think about all the wars that we've gone to where people, and this may not hold it true all the time, but off the top of my head, it seems that the wars that generally people have been like against on, like on the whole, you know, it's not a lot of support are the wars that don't involve an initial slight against the United States. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the first Gulf war, you know what I mean? it wasn't an honor thing. We didn't care about Kuwait getting invaded. I mean, politicians cared, you know, strategic thinkers in the region cared, you know, people who thought thought about world politics and Middle East politics. There were a lot of smart people that cared for good reasons, but it wasn't a gut thing. It wasn't like the people of, of America felt it. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, Vietnam, same thing, you know, Korea, the same thing. Uh, so, and then Iraq, like the second actually, Iraq war. Think about that. Actually, with Vietnam, wasn't that... You know the Gulf of Tonkin incident? Yeah, yeah. I think that, that turned was... out to be a false flag? Yep, yep. Um, but it's like, what's they, the reason for doing a false flag? To get people... That was supposed reaction. to be That was supposed <laughs> to be that kick in the nuts. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's like some smart people who... I don't know, whatever. I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories, whether it was deliberate or not. But yeah, seems like smart people know that about the American people or any people really that, you know, if you want them to react the way you want them to, you got to, there's got to be something like that. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of a funny thing to think about. Even though we're, we don't have an honor culture, we kind of do, you know what I mean? It, there's still remnants of it that remain. And yeah. that's, that's definitely one of them. It's, uh, you know, and there's obviously some people who are against any war ever and plenty of and there's plenty of reasons to critique the Afghanistan war now and the way it's been conducted, you know, but basically everybody was on board with going, you know what I mean? And we can still look back and think, OK, we started this for a good reason, you know, but you can't. It's harder to say that about Iraq. You know, it's harder to say that about, you know, Syria, you know, uh about uh, Yemen now, you know, all this stuff that's going on. Like people didn't even know we were at war there or that we were conducting combat operations. And it's like, what the heck? What even happened? Why? You know, it's like 
you need that initial slight for it to be justified in like the guts of the people. So that's just kind of an interesting thing that I just thought of whenever you're talking about how, you know, back then all war, that war was basically for honor. And it's like, well, I guess a lot of wars are at the root of it for honor, you know? Yeah. But they were just a lot more overt about it. <laughs> like they literally, they have to go to war to be good warriors, to win honor. It's like, you know, it'd be like, it's, it's necessary. Yeah. And that's, a, you know, that's another downside to honor culture, obviously. Like this, this culture basically facilitates constant war all the time. Yeah. And just death and destruction all the time. Yeah. Um, but he, another thing I thought of while reading this was th- this, there's like a, a difference between the reason you went to war in the first place and the reason the war continues. Um, so at a, at a couple points in the story or at one point in the story, it's like after the first day of fighting, um, and they call a truce to collect their dead or whatever. Um, and then they go, they go to their camps for the night and you see, there's like this meeting of the, of the elders of Troy inside the city. And basically everybody hates Paris. They're like, dude, what the hell? Like you caused this. You stole this guy's wife and you caused this war and it's your fault that our city's going to get sacked. So fuck you. Um, So they tell him, you need to give her back. Like give her back, give all of Menelaus's possessions back so they'll leave and we don't all die. And uh, Paris is like, no, I don't want to. Um, He eventually agrees to give all the possessions back, but not Helen. Like he wants to keep the girl, but he'll give all of the possessions that he stole from Menelaus back. So they send a messenger to the, to the Achaean army to tell Menelaus this. And uh, Menelaus isn't even the one that answers. Like he's the one whose stuff got stolen, but the one who answers is Diomedes, who's who's my favorite character by far. Like he he's kind of the while Achilles isn't fighting, he's like the main hero on the on the Achaean side, and he does a lot of badass stuff. But he's the one who answers, and he's like he basically says, "No, we're not taking your stuff." Like we came here to sack this city and that's what we're going to do. <laughs> um, and, and he's like, and he says, even if you gave Helen back, even if Helen was included in the deal, we still shouldn't take it. So basically the whole reason, the whole pretense for going to war in the first place, nobody cares about it anymore. Yeah. And, and it's like, we just, we're, we're just fighting now. Like, this is just a war. We came here to sack this city. And, like, our purpose for being here is to sack this city. And that's what we're going to do. And the reason we came here in the first place is completely forgotten. And, you know, this reminded me of, of more modern wars also. Um, yeah. Like World War One, for example. That started yeah. because of a, an, an Austrian archduke got assassinated by a Serbian. Yeah. And... Next thing you know, like France is fighting Germany and Germany's fighting Russia and Britain's fighting Germany and eventually America gets involved and there's like this chain reaction of shit. And next thing you know, the entire world is in an uproar and millions of people are dead. 
and and the incident that kicked it off was the assassination of one guy by another guy in in the Balkans, like this obscure little part of the world. And yeah. it, it's like just a few months into the war, nobody gives a shit about that. Yeah. But it's like, you know, in this case, the average soldier on either side doesn't give a shit about about Menelaus or Helen. Like nobody cares about that. They're just here because you know, they're, they're here to win honor. They're here to be warriors and to win honor in war. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is where like, it's an interesting, you know, speaking of world war one, right. I mean, I think, uh, you've heard Dan Carlin's hardcore history on it, right? Yep. I think you may be the one that told me about it. But amazing, by the way. I freaking loved it. Um, yeah, it was it was outstanding. Yeah, I learned more in like one episode of that than I had in my entire life on World War One, <laughs> which is so crazy because we were there. Like we weren't there long, America. But how the hell do we not teach that better in school? You know what I mean? Yeah. Even even in if it was American history, you know what I mean? That still was a very consequential war for us, even though we played a small part in it because it changed the dynamic of the world. And it's like we have been that made us a superpower. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we were pretty powerful and pretty much left alone and left everyone else alone for the most part, unless they were in the Western Hemisphere. Until that point. And that was when we became one of the most powerful countries in the world. And then in World War Two, that's where we were like far and like above and beyond the most powerful up there with the USSR, but you know, still. <clears throat> so it's so consequential in our history. And yet we, we teach so little of it, you know, that's kind of surprising to me, but I learned a lot. And yeah, that was one huge thing about it that, you know, you said, you know, you think Achilles like this, the Iliad basically was the beginning of the end of that culture or of that, uh, yeah, right, honor culture. Uh, it still lasted for a while, but, yeah, uh, you know, Dan Carlin was talking about how in World War One, they still, the French still had, like, those bright blue uniforms from the Napoleonic, like, they looked identical to a Napoleonic soldier from, like, 100 years earlier, you know what I mean? They, they, they lined up, they lined up in ranks and went into battle that way and got mowed down by machine guns. You know, mm -hmm. they... They rode horses like they still had this chivalrous, like romantic idea of war, you know, and that's because it, it was, you know what I mean? Like I was obviously I've never been through that and I can't really speak to what it's like, but there's a reason that for thousands and thousands of years, men part of, like a part of them not all men but for a lot of men at least some part of them wanted to go to war you know like it was an opportunity for glory you know what i mean mm -hmm. and uh and yeah it, above all else the machine gun like ruined that <laughs> you know what i mean like it was already going away you know when when they started first of all muskets started changing things but then especially rifled uh weapons started Change, like really made a big change, but the machine gun was like the last nail in the coffin for the romantic age of war, you know, and you could see that from like France and how 
their previous war it was like that. They showed up thinking it would be similar. All these young officers and gentlemen going out there thinking it would be like they were raised up to to, to think it was, and it was just absolute carnage and just hell on earth. You know what I mean? Um, so I think war has always been that way, even you know in Troy, right? It's always been that way, but it was also romantic. And it's like any notion of romanticism was basically wiped off you know, wiped out of people's minds in World War One. You know what I mean? And now there's just little tiny semblances of it. And I think for the most part, we, we see that more in in moments of hair of like specific acts of courage and heroism than we do generally in war. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so there is still honor in war. It's just less of a general thing and more of a specific action type of thing. And I mean, obviously there's honor in fighting period. Like, uh, you know, anyone who goes to war and fights, whether they die immediately or last the whole time, if, even if they don't do anything above and beyond the call of duty, like that is honorable to go and do their duty. But you know what I mean? Like honor, the type of honor we're talking about is like not synonymous with glory, but it has a lot to do with glory. It's your reputation. It's, you know, and that's why people were doing it, this romantic idea. Um, and so that's basically gone. But and, and it's now it's pretty much reserved for, you know, individual acts of bravery. So that's why we still have, you know, medals for for the most courageous acts and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And you're literally honoring them. It's 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 honor, you know. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting with like how how the initial cause of a war just gets forgotten. And I think that probably happens a lot. Like, I'm sure you could come up with a... Like, I'm sure you could point that out about most wars. Yeah. Like, I mean, what did Pearl Harbor really have to do with Germany? Yeah. Like, it... Yeah. it I mean, granted... You know, Japan and Germany were allies, but and like, I think Germany declared war. <laughs> yeah, Germany declared war on America. <laughs> yeah, which I guess you know, I'm not saying we wouldn't have declared war otherwise, but that definitely gave politicians the, you know, everything they needed. You know, <laughs> it's like that was stupid, Germany. Yeah, yeah, dumb Germans. But yeah, we probably would have anyway, even if they didn't declare war. And I think that's because you know, basically. Roosevelt and you know all the politicians pretty much wanted us to go and was just waiting for a good excuse um, to war with Germany, not necessarily Japan. They didn't care so much, but then, you know, so we had to go to war with Japan because of Pearl Harbor. But it's like it also turned out to be a decent excuse to go to war with Germany and jump in yeah. on the British side. Yeah, but it's like it's like it's almost like war is just a it's almost like war has a mind of its own yeah. is like an entity in and of itself because you get you have a you have an initial reason to go to war like some guy steals another guy's wife or you get attacked or something or a guy assassinates an archduke and next thing you know war just takes over like yeah. the war just is a war and runs away and gets out of control. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like nobody cares about the 
the reason you went to war anymore. And it's just like a, a living thing almost of its own. I don't know. That's kind of weird. That sounds kind of weird, but yeah, you get the point, right? Yeah. It always turns into something. If nothing else, it's either just an excuse to keep going or it was, maybe you could blame it on use in bellow and like this, the plan was just bad and now you're stuck, you know, but often it's just like the mission changes, you know, Um, your purpose changes. I think Afghanistan, we, we, we succeeded like, Osama bin Laden's dead. The Taliban are no longer in charge. And we've been there for 17 years, you know, 18, no, yeah, 17 years. So it's like, now what? Now it's like, oh, we can't leave or else everything will go to crap. So we got to, now it's like, how, what's the answer? How do we, how do we leave without it going to crap? And so now everyone, now it's just thinking about that and trying to figure it out indefinitely forever until someone finally either figures it out, which seems unlikely, or we just quit and leave, you know, either way, it, it has nothing to do anymore with nine 11. Yeah, you know? exactly. We've gotten our revenge, you know? So yeah, it's a good one. Or how about the mission accomplished like a, a few <laughs> weeks after uh, Iraq started. Right. Right. And, uh, like, so then it's been that way for a long time. Like, just, okay, what do we do now? You know, like, so, yeah, I don't know. What else is like that? Uh, I guess it happens a lot, like most wars, but I guess for a lot of wars, that though, whole, it's not the case. I just, like, I just thought of the, uh, the Hatfield-McCoy feud. Like, yeah. you saw that. You, I think you were the one who told me about that. There was that series like mini series on netflix a while back so good about it yeah it was really good but i mean that was a real that was a real thing that happened in history like these two families just like somebody slighted somebody else and then it got out of control and next thing you knew they were killing each other all over the place and like it just got totally out of control and nobody even remembered why they were fighting in the first place yeah yeah and everyone suffered and everyone lost you know, there's no winners. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Which goes back to the, the, maybe the moral of the story. Like maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe a culture that maybe a culture that causes that has some flaws and needs to be tempered with something else. Yeah. So, I mean, we spent all this time talking about remnants. Like, first of all, honor culture, mostly what was wrong with it. And, some of the things that are still around today from it, but um, maybe a good thing to talk about is what was right about it and yeah. what's wrong today and how we could, what we could use a little more of. Cause I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, but what a better opportunity than the Iliad, you know? <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Actually, I, I had some thoughts on that. Um, yeah. You know, one big thing you can see in the Iliad or, um, or at least that I see in the Iliad, is the basis of Western thought and Western philosophy, which is focus on the individual. Yeah. Like this, this honor culture is very focused on individual achievement. Like it doesn't matter if you're, I mean, maybe it does. There's probably some honor that comes along.